Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, we are back. Two things today. One, I'm going to try to explain the Deshaun Watson situation to my friend and former NFL teammate, Drew Hodgden. And then I'm going to try to convince Drew that he doesn't have to worry about how big and intimidating he is and uh, to, to just go ahead and own it. Oh, and my complete lack of empathy, apparently. Drew Hodgson, it's been a minute. Uh, look, there's a lot going on here in Houston, Texas. We've got Deshaun Watson uh, not being here, and we've got a whole lot of we've got 50 new guys on the roster, and, uh, and and nobody really knows what the hell's going on. You told me before you came on that your voice isn't quite right. What is this from partying? Is it from is it from pleasuring a lady? What's going on? Yeah, just the the classic uh, cunnilingus related voice damage that's, <laughs> that's a- we're, we're, that we're all familiar with, all of yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, dang it. I have to try to now I have to tell the okay, everybody just, just parent warning and all that stuff. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, I apologize. Should I, is that just I thought that was a built in anytime they saw my name in the feed. That's, <laughs> that that's your, the brand. That's that was my your brand. nickname. The other C word is that uh, what we, we used to call you back in the day. No, yeah, I'm um, so edgy. Very we're, edgy. We're 10 days into training camp and here in Houston. It's funny because a lot of the storylines that we've hashed out over the last three months in Houston, all of a sudden now it's national news again because right. national media was kind of taking it easy and barely talking about Deshaun Watson at all because, because frankly, they are rightfully uncomfortable about missteps in handling situations like this. But now there's, there's no choice but to talk about Deshaun Watson because whether it's the Philadelphia Eagles, the Miami Dolphins, the Denver Broncos, there, there are teams out there that are still reportedly angling for they're angling for a piece of the action, but they're probably just waiting until there's some kind of resolution legally. Yeah, it's it's been very strange now that it's actually picking up and it's like you blink and turn around and there's preseason games being played and suddenly Deshaun Watson's still there. And yeah. so it, it feels really strange. Like I had to double check, you know, what the calendar read because I just assumed like everybody else that there's no chance he was still going to be on the team by the oh, time they started getting to this point. Yeah, that's what I got a bunch of a flurry of texts on day one of practice, especially when Deshaun Watson was out at practice and various people were just incredulous that that was happening. And I what I've fallen back to every step along the way in this whole Deshaun Watson saga since you and I first started talking about it in the beginning of January Right. Is that there's just absolutely no predicting what's going to happen next with the Texans or with Deshaun Watson. And everything is, is frankly completely unprecedented. And just for the listeners who, who haven't been paying attention all that closely, and if you're outside of Houston, you probably haven't. Look, Deshaun Watson is currently being sued by 22 women for sexual assault. Uh, they claim that he was extremely aggressive to varying degrees. Uh, in, in trying to get sexual favors during massage therapy sessions. There are a total of 10 women who have filed complaints with the Houston Police Department. Eight of those women are also uh, part of the lawsuits. Two of the women who have filed complaints with the police are not. As of yet, the DA has not started working on a case. It's all in the police department at this point. Um, and there's one other woman that did an interview on a, uh, on a YouTube channel who is not suing or... Uh, and is not uh, has not filed complaints with the police. She claims that she got death threats at one point when she was identified early on. So all all told, 25 women who have either, you know, publicly or to the Houston Police Department made complaints uh, about Deshaun Watson. That's where we are right now. 
Yeah, that was a mouthful. I guess that just was, the, know. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot. Every time you run through the timeline, I have to remind myself that there's always more coming when you're only halfway through that. It's, it's so hard too. Cause people like, uh, people have me on for radio interviews in other cities. And look, I know what bad radio sounds like. And bad radio <laughs> Is you running through a a sexual assault allegation timeline ad nauseum? Nobody knows bad radio better than this guy. (laughs) (laughs) When I'm on there, I can tell that I'm doing bad radio because it's for one. uh, And I I live in fear and terror that something I say is going to be grabbed like one little sound bite. Right. uh, That sounds like, well, they had it coming to them or something like that. And so you're very careful and you, you know, you're all your guards are up but then there's just so much going on here and it's so hard to explain it all in context especially because it was made more complicated by the fact that deshaun watson asked for a trade before any of this was made public so it it, it's turning into a classic uh like okay there are no here heroes here type of situation because the the texans organization in terms of like the actual deshaun watson and texans uh, houston texans dynamic Uh, of course the, the, the Texans as an organization, when Bill O'Brien was the general manager, were a complete mess and a nightmare. And it led to Deshaun Watson being disgruntled for various reasons. And then, and then you add this on top of it. And then obviously Deshaun Watson becomes the guy who uh, is the object of derision or at the very least suspicion for a lot of people. And it, like the overwhelming sense that I've gotten during this entire scenario, because we've been out at practice Every day, I, I missed one practice of the last ten days, and the the first few days it was just very, very strange. Like Deshaun Watson's usually very animated at practice; he's dancing, um, you know, and and he was out there, and he would go through individual drills. He would, you know, take snaps, throw balls, might do one on ones for the first couple of days uh, against defensive backs, but then once anything team started, anytime there was any kind of traffic or chance that Deshaun might get hurt, he was off to the side. And then his practice went on. He was never, he was never like you would, if you didn't know the Texans and you looked at Deshaun Watson and you didn't know anything about the situation, you wouldn't sit there and think like, well, that's a disgruntled player. And wow, he's a bad influence. Sure. Or he's being a distraction, but it was just very obvious that he wasn't himself where you might start to say like, hey, what's that guy's story? It'd be like as practice wore on and as you got into more and more team drills and he was more and more excluded, he would be like taking a knee 20 yards away from everybody else. That's where you might say, if you didn't know anything about the Texans, you would say like, well, how come that quarterback seems to be a lone wolf? And, uh, and ultimately, and this is what uh, Matt Musil, who is a longtime reporter on KHOU in, here in Houston, he's the first one that, that brought up this theory. Sean Watson eventually isn't out there at practice. And it was either the day or two days after the first practice where fans were allowed. And he, there was a, a couple of times during practice, there were chants from the fans saying, we want Deshaun, we want Deshaun. And I think that might be where the Texans said, all right, the cat and mouse game. Maybe, maybe you win, you win this, uh, this episode of the cat and mouse game and Deshaun Watson uh, will, will keep you in with a nondescript foot injury for now. Well, if there were ever a team that would position themselves so that a player in the kind of boiling water that, that Deshaun Watson is in, it would be the Texans performing the way that they have over the last six months to make it seem like he should still be there. I mean, only they could have botched every other facet of their franchise's daily operations <laughs> to the degree that they have so that Deshaun can still be cheered by fans. I mean, well, that's kind of, that's my feeling on it. I, I it's, there's no way any other team, uh, even like the Bengals of old would not I have done it this poorly, but this is where it's so hard because yes, the Texans have done a lot of things egregiously wrong and mishandled various situations. But once we get to this situation, I don't know if there's a correct way to handle things. This is this is my current theory for why the Texans rolled Deshaun out to practice. And it's this. So Deshaun, Deshaun had asked for a trade, but he had never at least publicly said anything about wanting to hold out of camp. So if Deshaun had held out of camp, it would have been a $50,000 fine every day. Then he starts losing his salary. All told, I think if he sat out the whole season, which wouldn't have happened. He would have showed up with enough time for his contract to 
to advance to the next year. But he could have been out somewhere between, I believe, 10 to 15 million dollars. You know, if he had showed up with several weeks, six weeks or so left in the season, then his contract would would be considered engaged and it would roll on over into the next year. If he if he held out completely, his contract tolls and like he's they they move free agency back for him one year. See, that's already too complicated. So anyway, Deshaun, it's good radio. He has just he has two options. He can hold out and get fined or he could show up. And we were all wondering here. And I said a few months ago, like as soon as the rape allegations came out, I felt that the very best business strategy would be for him to show up to camp like that would make the most sense because that puts the ball in the Texans court. It puts the ball in the NFL's court and and he can't get he's either going to get suspended or he might get put on the commissioner's exemplist where he's not allowed to go to the stadium, but he still gets paid. He gets paid or he forces their hand. Right, 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 exactly. Or yeah, or they just flat out say, "Okay, we got to trade him." So right. I, I started bringing this up, and I'd say, "Like, well, what, what if he just shows up?" And people said, "No, no, no, no. Of course he won't show up." So I'm not, I'm not going to claim I predicted that he would show up, but it, and I, and this is why I, I was probably less than fifty percent, you know, that he would show up because it, it takes a lot of gonads, you know. Like I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's a morally right thing to do, but to go there when you're unwanted. And to go through what he did, which is they kind of publicly humiliated him. You know, this is a little bit of, uh, you know, being put in the stockade in the town square for him. And I think that's what they were. I my personal theory is that they were trying to bait him into either just saying, ah, screw this, I'm going home or perhaps doing something that could be considered conduct detrimental because then they could find him for conduct detrimental. They could get back some of his salary. They could do all those things. So I think that was the. That was the staring contest. And then when the so and then the second part of my theory would be that once the fans started cheering, we want to Sean, we want to Sean. They felt like, OK, well, yeah, let's uh, let's let's say that you've got a foot injury. Now, Deshaun, the very first day he was out there at practice, Clint Sterner, the former Arkansas and Cowboys quarterback who's, who's on our radio station now, Sports Radio 610. Um, he I was standing next to Clint. And, and we looked over and Clint's like, hey, look, look at this, Seth. Look at this, Chief. This is what it's going to be. And Deshaun was pointing to his ankle uh, to a trainer. And like trainer, the trainer was just kind of looking down at it being like, OK, cool, bro. And uh, yeah, I have an ankle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's an ankle. Head, uh, shoulders, knees and toes. Yep, there you yeah, go. You're all good there. Job. But uh, but but Clint called it. It's like, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be some point they're going to come in. Uh, he's he's going to have a foot or an ankle or a shin or something. So that's where we are right now is uh, I, I, the Texans have received trade. I think they've had trade discussions, but every single general manager in the league is thinking, all right, I trade for Deshaun Watson. What happens when all of a sudden Deshaun Watson gets indicted? You yeah. know, the, the morning we're supposed to be having our press conference and not to mention, how are we going to handle everything? How are we going to handle thing on a PR front when all these cases are still out there lingering? And I think that there's got to be some kind of at least, if not a legal resolution, there's got to be a, a belief by people involved that they can see the light at the end of the tunnel and that there will be a resolution. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know how any team could make some kind of move on a player like Deshaun is in in bizarrely one of those awkward spaces where he is a preeminent talent. So you're not going to bring him in with the assumption like some of these other guys who have ended up being journeymen at a skilled position where you didn't really know if, you know, well, you know, he's one of the fastest guys in the league. We can put him a receiver maybe or not, and we'll be fine either way. He's going to be a starting quarterback. So you don't have the benefit of not bringing him in and assuming that he's going to take over the reins of your offense. Right. So they have, there has to be some kind of definitive, they have to at least see what it's going to end up being. I mean, I mean, can you imagine it would go into complete tank mode immediately? If you trade for Deshaun Watson, you've given up three first round picks, maybe another player, maybe one of your best players or like a Devante Smith, who was a first round pick by the Eagles this year. That's been bandied about. And all of a sudden you also don't have a quarterback. You've become the Houston Texans at that point. You know, like that's the, that's the problem is you are trading to become the Houston Texans. Exactly. And that, yeah, that, that doesn't sound like an enticing bit of uh, a bit of progress. No, it's not appealing to anybody, which is why all of this, you know, even, even you had said that they find themselves in this position now and that's true, but nothing about it is happening in a vacuum. It's all going back 
years now at this point to every single decision piling on top of another terrible decision. And it's not that they're changing horses midstream. It's that there was a whole herd of horses going through the stream and they were jumping from one horse to the other and they had no idea. And then they decided they wanted to go back to the other horse. And then they thought, you know what? The third horse was so good though. And and they they have no idea. And meanwhile, half the horses have drowned. They're going, they're floating down the river. They have no idea what they're doing. So they were doing the grocery store line thing where you hop from yes. grocery store line to grocery <laughs> store line. And all of a sudden you find out like behind two old ladies writing checks. That's yeah. what they did, except they did it under much more dire circumstances, which was horses crossing a stream. Yeah. While on horseback. Yes. Yeah. But they were in, but they were praying the whole time. That's the other part of it. You know, they've got yeah, fingers they've got, crossed. They've got yeah. God on their side. So there's nothing. <laughs> it's almost like the, the Texans have used prayer and religion to basically turn the prayer and religion is to the Texans. What hard drugs were to the jackass crew. They're like, well, <laughs> faith. we'll yeah. do anything and everything. As long as we are fueled by this thing, we'll somehow get through this. Like Steve-O, Steve-O blowtorching his nipples is the same as Bill O'Brien trading DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson. Yeah, I realized that last stunt went terribly, but I wasn't high enough. So the other question people will ask me is, hey, what's it like on the team? Is there are are people distracted? Like, is there does it seem chaotic? And I think pretty much the overwhelming majority of people that have been out there watching practice would 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 probably say, no, it looks pretty energetic. The there are more than 50 brand new players on that roster. They got rid of pretty much anybody, like almost everybody who has a big contract or would have a lot of uh, sway with players in the locker room or something. You know, there's only, there's Laramie Tunsil, there's Zach Cunningham, Deshaun Watson is, I I think, kind of just like biting his tongue and trying to bide his time. Sure. He's not not being a distraction outwardly. You know, Deshaun, Deshaun, and, and, uh, Tim Kelly, the offensive coordinator, said that he's actually pretty involved in meetings and helping guys out, helping guys. His, he's friends with Tyrod Taylor. So they're, uh, they're he, like that part of it. It just seems it seems a lot like it's a dysfunctional family where you're kind of just trying to mind your own business and not attract attention for anything. Well, meanwhile, your dad and your older brother like despise each other. You know, yeah. you know, you know classic uh, Wonder Years type stuff. I don't know. Your your older your older sister is opposed to the war in Vietnam. Your your dad thinks that she's a commie, um, and you're just trying to get through social studies. Yeah, what a what a viable reference for the modern age that was. Yeah, Wonder starting, Years. No, totally. they're starting the Wonder Years up. Vietnam no, War. There's going to be a new Wonder Years. <laughs> okay, is it, it is. also in the Vietnam yes. War? Uh, oh I don't know. No. I know it's going to be the um the it's a black family though. So it, that, like, that's oh kind of wow! Deal. What a that's a really if you're gonna rehash old episodes, I really like that dynamic. Like it would be really interesting if it is in the same time. Like like if you're well, doing it, it during the civil rights movement and everything. Yeah, yeah. if they're actually going there, but if it's just gonna be you know kind of if it's gonna be weak sauce about if it, then that's if, that's not very interesting. If it's the exact but, yeah. same scripts and everything, except just with black actors, <laughs> white actors. that's all the same scenarios. Yeah, I know, but yeah, yeah. I but I mean back to your point. I think the okay, the one thing about that Wonder Years was it was it, I, if as I recall, it was like there was a curious lack of racism by anybody in this late sixties sitcom. Well, <laughs> it was it was the boomers take on what that era was actually like. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, we're I miss all, those days. We we're all super idealistic. No, there was nobody racist at this school. Yeah, the, no. There was nothing Except going there, on there. Guys. If there was one, he was widely castigated as the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> we all we all put him in his place very yeah. quickly and don't fast forward to the modern age at all. There's no parallel. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. It, as far as being distracted, I, I feel like that is a luxury for teams that are much better than the Texans. Yeah, like they, that is not they're not they don't need to worry about being distracted. There's that's plenty exactly right. else going on. You know, that's, that's um, a problem. That's you know, you'll talk about that sometimes with with winning, how hard it is for a winning team to maintain structure and discipline and everything because right. they get the, the disease of me in basketball. Mm-hmm. They call it the disease of me, where all of a sudden you got various guys that have had success. They want to get paid. This guy wants to be a bigger star. This guy doesn't think the offense is suited to him ideally, and he wants it tweaked. Yeah, you've got none of that. You've got a, a whole bunch of guys on one-year deals, and and yeah. for the most part, I think that's what you see out there. So there's a lot of energy. There's fifty of these guys weren't on the team last year. Most of the guys weren't on the team like three years ago. The vast majority of them weren't on the team three years ago. So 
Uh, and, and I think the guys who remain are probably, you know, kind of like survivors who have figured out what they got to do. <laughs> like, I've got yeah. actually, I know. One I mean, person. that has to be a prolific amount of turnover, right? Yeah. I mean, 50 guys, I can't, I'm sure it, it's happened and maybe it happens more often than I'm realizing with teams that are in the positions that the Texans are in, but 50 is, that's a lot of new faces. It's, um, and the total number of transactions is a lot higher than that, too, because they've had some right. guys come in and roll out like Ryan Finley, where they traded for Ryan Finley, the quarterback. And then for whatever reason, they got rid of Finley so they could bring in Jeff Driscoll, who is having one of the worst camps I've ever seen a quarterback have in football. Well, uh, you, you have to outdo yourself as the Texans. Well, I did. You know what I you is. know what I tend to do when I find myself wondering, like, why is this guy on the team? I just go ahead and Google that guy's name and um, fellowship of Christian athletes and boom. Pops Stop. right up. I'm like, yeah. Is that true? <laughs> well, if and there's he was oh, in Detroit wow. with the brand new character coach who was a uh, who's a protege of Jack Easterby, the character coach slash uh, faith leader of the Texans. And yeah, you, yeah. you start to connect the dots. You're like, OK, this is a culture guy, which is to be clear to any of our listeners that are new here. I'm all four guys going to FCA and everything. It's just the Texans have a peculiar brand of like mini. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm only for it if they're also really good at football. Exactly. I, I, I give zero. I, I have no investment in their engagement with FCA if yeah, they're I also don't. not good at playing quarterback. It is, is it not. is it is my belief that no matter how favored they might be by God, if you had a team full of Joel Osteens, you would uh, literally have your uh, your your brain stomped out. Every yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. You'd have a prolific pyramid scheme and a terrible, terrible football team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is it's a, the Texans brand of Christianity seems to be some kind of uh, like the is it the, the gospel of wealth or the prosperity? Well, the gospel, gospel of prosperity, whatever. That's that it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, we all agree, though. There's just no scenario where this doesn't end in some kind of incredible well, blow up with with um, uh, I just forgot his name I, the architect of Jack Easterby Easter yeah, yeah. I, well the only thing this okay and that's the last I'll say I don't want to get too far into the weeds with the, yeah, actual, yeah. the, the Texan stuff the problem with Jack Easterby and Bill O'Brien as a duo was that Jack Easterby it would seem would, would have fueled all of Bill O'Brien's worst notions Fair. so yeah. Bill O'Brien was not qualified to be a general manager and Jack Easterby was not qualified to tell Bill O'Brien which general managing ideas were bad ones. And he had a lot of them <laughs> where, right. yeah, what my hope is, yeah. is that with Nick Casario, you know, he spent <laughs> he's been 20 years with the Patriots. I know. I know that that doesn't translate necessarily, although Patriots personnel people have had a lot more success than Patriots head coach, big guys who have gone on to be head coaches out of the Patriots. Right. So, yeah. Um, he, at the very least, is not going to have the same bad. If he has any bad instincts, it's not going to be to the degree and volume that Bill O'Brien did. So that's my sure. hope is that they can that Nick Casario knows how to use Jack Easterby adequately instead of how, you know, what, what Bill O'Brien was. I mean, Bill O'Brien had Jack Easterby there all the time. Like he was always next to Bill O'Brien. He was in the team meetings. He was in. If a player went to meet with Bill O'Brien, Jack Easterby was sitting there over his shoulder. It was it was incredibly strange. And guys knew that Jack so had a lot of power. So yeah. you brought up um, when we were emailing back and forth about this, you had brought up that in 2005, when we were two and 14 as the Texans, you know, in this day and age, we might have been at the very least, we could have gone three and 14. At least it wouldn't have been as because. Oh, yeah. In this in this modern soft NFL, we would have. Who knows what would have happened. Two more wins. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So because well, you got one extra opportunity. Um, <laughs> But it was uh, it's interesting. I think. Tell me if this sounds right in training camp. You know, everybody's pretty positive in training camp and, you know, everybody's got the best of intentions and you're optimistic and whatnot. But by the time things started unraveling in that year, for me, it was after the third preseason game against Tampa, where yeah. we just got trucked and like nothing went right for anybody. Yeah, and we realized, oh, this this might we might be a really bad football team this year. And it yeah. kind of got steadily worse. But I felt like we I thought that that team, even though we were awful, we ended up we ended up at least being competitive in games in the second half of the season. I never felt like the entire team let go of the rope. I think we just weren't that good. I don't know that I know the difference 
Yeah. I mean, I think that there, there's no doubt about that. I was also, especially early on, it was my rookie year. So I was so knee deep in my own, Yeah, you know, it was, it, I was so idealistic at that point that it was pre the weight of the world crushing my hopes and thoughts of, of how the, the life in the NFL was. That's but true. Once we got, like you said, three or four games in, I think it was also that Monday night game in Seattle where we got, I mean, they oh. were a really good team. They went to the Super Bowl. But they just treated us like we were not in the NFL. No, and it was, so uh, that, that was, was, when, a, that I, that was, was when I almost tried. I tried to leap up and fight a fan as I was. <laughs> yes, and then when I, right. tore, yeah. I tore apart the Seattle Seahawks visiting locker room. after. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's when you know things are looking. Up. I hope I hope you know yeah. what? I hope you saw that. I hope that was your welcome to the NFL <laughs> moment. It was like, no, was, it was it was very much my like, finally, someone I can get along with. <laughs> Some, this guy's got serious anger management this, issues. This, this guy has character, and the rest <laughs> of these guys are just dry. You know yeah. what? That reminds me of uh, Greg McElroy. I remember talking to him because Greg McElroy had won a national championship, a quarterback for Alabama. Obviously, saw the way that a program runs when it's run right. Yeah, and then he, and then he finds himself on the New York Jets. You know, Yikes. and with yeah. Rex Ryan at his Rex Ryan at his most least head football coaches you know like he's, like, he's the rex ryan the most rex ryan yes yeah. yeah. it's a shame because rex ryan was such a good defensive coordinator yeah like just so awesome but as a head coach he was the exact opposite all the things that made him a really good defensive coordinator kind of worked him against worked against him as a head coach and right. i remember i remember greg mcelroy after that season, kind of publicly speaking up and talking about what a bad environment it was. And my first instinct was like, okay, shut up, rookie. Like, you, you damn Boy Scout. I ended up talking to him. I was at the uh, Army-Navy game with him. We were, both, uh, we were both there doing various broadcasting things. And I talked to him about that. And I was like, I got to tell you, man. I thought, you know, like, I was, I was kind of... I was kind of taken aback that a rookie was speaking out like that. And he started explaining exactly what it was like. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know what? What am I? You know what? Yes. Under Nick Saban, you definitely saw a higher quality run organization than what was going on there. I don't think I bet a, he did. It's not the yeah. backup quarterback's role to say that necessarily. Um, but, mm -hmm. it, but it is, that's the, there is something to culture. Like is sometimes it's overblown and sometimes people make too much of it, but it isn't, you I'm the well, first guy. Where, where, say, where's the line between culture and running an effective organization? That's true. Yeah, like just, you know what I mean. Like it's, having standards and holding people. To yeah, that. it's just there's there's operations and there's culture, and yeah. it's like on one side you can just be so deficient in running an effective you know organization from the top down. It's it's yeah. not even culture at that point. Um, that was I'm trying to think of the guy's name. I've read this book, Collision Low Crossers, and. It was it's about the 2011 Jets. Greg McElroy is in there. And that was um, that was a year after the Jets had gone to the championship game again. Right. And and that's the, the, the thing where you realize, oh, boy, this is when the dysfunction creeps in is when uh, Sanchez is their quarterback, the young quarterback. Really doesn't seem like he's getting it. I still think that if the Jets had played Mark Brunel instead of Sanchez in the playoffs, they'd probably be in the Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, Sanchez was so the scouting staff and everybody was in agreement on what they're going to go after in the last round of the draft. And all of a sudden, there's like a little bit of uh, a flurry of activity. Rex Ryan goes back in with Tannenbaum, the GM, and they have a conference. And I think everybody like thought that they were everybody thought they're in alignment with what, what was going to happen. They come out and they tell everybody, hey, we're drafting Sanchez's buddy, Scotty McKnight, um, the wide receiver, <laughs> because because we think it would be good because because apparently Rex Ryan had told Sanchez that they would draft Scotty McKnight if he was there or something. So I forgot, I forgot about that. Yeah. I completely forgot about that whole debacle. Yeah. So they, they draft this kid that doesn't end up yeah. being a good football player and they do it just to be his binky to be Sanchez's binky. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was bad. It was like uh, a, was just bad. like a sunk cost fallacy on a pro on an incredible scale with a guy that like very clearly didn't want outside the organization who probably wasn't. Wasn't going to make it. Hey, I don't want to go back and listen to this again before I put it out. Did I say Matt Sanchez instead of Mark Sanchez? I heard That's Mark. That. Okay, good. I heard Mark, but I'm, I'm also a, like, I'm immune to all your mistakes. Yeah, I know. Well, I knew a Matt Sanchez in college and uh, I've got a, I've got a bad habit of 
like saying the <laughs> somewhere he's my, like Seth saying the names of my buddies instead of yeah. like the similar NFL players. <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's an honest mistake. Bad radio, yeah. Drew. That's what I. That's my forte. <laughs> I told we've been over this. I'm, a, yeah. <laughs> I'm just staying on brand, so uh, right. I will not, uh, including bad. Co- I'm not going to go back and edit this damn podcast. Uh, okay, that's that's where we are. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, that's where we are with Deshaun Watson. For anybody asking, like, hey, Seth, when's this gonna, when, when is this going to resolve itself? Oh, I, my best guess is that when Deshaun Watson is eventually traded, it'll be with some kind of a contingency. The thing that's whole, like well, a playtime contingency where a team is protected if Deshaun is suspended, you know, that maybe they peel back a, a draft pick or something. But the other thing is that there's got to be some kind of resolution legally and that's going to take a while. Right. I'm 50-50 right now. That's not a very ballsy way to put it, but I'm 50-50 as to whether Deshaun gets traded at all this season. I think the most likely scenario is he ends up on the commissioner's exempt list. He sits out the entire season, and he gets traded sometime next spring. So that's, that's where I am, and that's, nobody's happy about that. Like I think people that want Deshaun punished aren't happy about that because that means he's getting paid for $15 million or so. Mm-hmm. Um, the Texans fans aren't happy about that because we can't move on as Texans fans until yeah. all of this is over. The positive side of it for Texans fans would be that you, it's good. It's more painful now, but in the long term, the best price for Deshaun is probably going to be if they trade him before next year's draft, because you'll know exactly how high the draft picks you're getting are. Well, not. I mean, that's interesting. Are you saying that is that being driven? Because I assume you used to be much more bullish on him being traded, right? I mean, that's that's obvious. So are you saying I, that the performance of the other guys that have been been in camp has just been so horrendous at this point that they just there's no chance that they can trade him or oh um well it's not no, even that. No, I don't think he's gonna play. Like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah it's, right. it's just that I don't think I think that I think the Texans want to get the right price for him. Mm-hmm. I don't think a team out there wants to trade for Deshaun Watson until there's legal resolution. And right. the one one of the big things holding things up right now, supposedly, and this comes from Deshaun's attorney himself, is that typically in situations like this, Drew, you know, if you're if you're being accused of, you know how it is, you've been accused of <laughs> yeah, we've all been there sexual assault. Yeah. If you're going to settle those cases, typically you'd also want a confidentiality agreement that the you're going to the women are going to drop their charges or their lawsuit, but they're not going to talk about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, Deshaun is saying, no, I don't want a confidentiality agreement. I want to be able to tell my side of the story. And maybe that's posturing. Maybe that's him saying, you know, maybe that's him either wanting to make it look like he's innocent or maybe he genuinely believes he's innocent, whatever it might be. It's not the kind of thing that's going to lend itself well to to actually yeah. settling this thing. You know, um, I think a lot of the women, if they're going to settle, they also want to they don't want to have to live with this you know, publicly or, you know, have, have somebody talking about them. The right, I, I wouldn't think, and it's 22 separate women. So each, each woman is going to have a different, you know, motivation or feel or what have you. And that's the other part of the enormity of it is it's 22 separate women with the lawsuits. It's 10 different criminal complaints. It's potentially other women. I mean, so yeah. far, let's see, let me do the math in my head real quick. We have 22 women filing a lawsuit. We had another extra two who are, um, not filing a lawsuit, but did file criminal charges. We have a woman who was on YouTube and made her complaints very public. Uh, Deshaun basically wanting anal penetration of some sort. You can go Google YouTube interview Deshaun. Watson. Yeah, Google anal penetration and just it's, go uh, down that rabbit yeah, hole. Just do that. Just, yeah. So um, <laughs> there was so there's 25 women right there. There were another 18 who came forward and were character that gave statements supporting Deshaun Watson, who were all yeah. massage therapists. So what's that? 38. So that's uh, 25, 35. No, no. 43, 43. Um, so that's 43 women that generally over the course of about one year gave massages to Deshaun Watson. Now, maybe some of those women who gave um, massages that were character supporters would have been before that year when when. Was, but at the very least, over the last several years, let's say that there's that many women, there's 43 women that that we know of. So who knows? And that's another big X factor for other teams. It's like, hey, like if he resolves these cases and maybe the HPD says, well, we didn't find enough to send this to the DA teams still have to think, all right, this was just the city of Houston for the most part. A few of the women are from other cities, but yep. who else is out there? You know, who exactly. comes forward a year or two from now. So yep. 
I, that's why I'm saying at the very least, I, I think it's going to be next spring. But I, I think um, that's that's a good read. Yeah, I talked. You know, I usually dominate uh, the mic here. That's not that's not me saying like I'm dominating. I, I I talk too much sometimes. But today, your voice was in, in rough shape, so I don't want to put that much pressure on you. I, thank you. I appreciate it, and I, I welcome your dominance. <laughs> it's like me with my sexual skills. My wife usually says, "Like, look, I'm not, I'm not, a, I don't want to put too much on you." Okay, so we'll take it easy today, champ. For for the nineteenth, <laughs> for, for the for the nineteenth straight year, I'm not going to expect that much out of you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to keep these expectations low, as we always have forever. That's why yeah. we have such a strong. I appreciate you uh, staying off your phone while we make love. Thank you. Thank you. That's what. Uh, Thanks. Yeah. Check check Instagram later, please. Okay. So okay, now we're in the season now and mm-hmm. this means regularity uh, both with podcast schedule with mm-hmm. regular scheduled games and everything so i will have you on at least once a week now that we're officially into training camp oh thanks man i'm, I'm glad that our friendship and spending time together is contingent on a sports season schedule we'll have um we're having a bud light fantasy draft party on september 2nd right at energy stadium because if you can't get excited about your own football team at least you can get excited about your fantasy football team <laughs> <laughs> So we're going there. That's uh, everybody go to my Twitter at Seth C. Payne. I, I think my pinned tweet has a link to where you can sign up to try to win that and bring all your buddies out and have a whole bunch of butt light. And, and somewhere along the line, Drew, after this podcast continues to dominate and gain listenership, my dream is to get you some kind of a sponsorship um, just so I can hear you awkwardly read your, your ad copy the first time. Oh, that's my dream. Also, it's- you really have to build up that. What I've noticed about that is you have to build up some kind of expectation that you can be kind of ironic or sarcastic. Otherwise, yeah. you're a bad ad person. <laughs> uh, what's that? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's weird. It's very awkward at first. Um, yeah. Much like the first 19 years of my marriage with my wife and the sexual performances, <laughs> it oh, takes a, a while back. to get into the groove, you know, yeah. like you're kind of, All it right. does, it feels weird at first when you're, um, but eventually you get good at it. And uh, the key is, the key is to genuinely fall in love with the products that you're endorsing. So it's like when, uh, when, um, if it's a car, if it's a beer, if it's a mm-hmm. whiskey, if it's something like that, you got to really spend some time with the lady and get to know her. No, oh, curves. no yeah. that's why I've always said that I'm all fan. I'm a fan of any anal penetration related product <laughs> that we may offer or I'm sorry. I did it again. No, 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 no. That's okay. That's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough subject. All right, man. Um, get your voice ready. Uh, drink some like tea with honey in it or something like that. Mm. And next week we'll start breaking down some actual football. Awesome. Sweet. Thanks, man. And oh, so I'm going to record this. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking about this. I don't want to. Ma- I don't want to do it like your uh, your your testicle issue that we had. No, no, yeah, yeah. Do you mind if we talk about this when, when, when while we're recording? No, not at all. It's fine. Okay. So okay. it's so, been going so you, on. Yeah. So you've got an issue with your voice where sometimes when you're trying to sound less intimidating or trying to soften maybe what you're saying, you're you speak from the back of your throat instead of like from your diaphragm. Well, yeah, because I think what, what and it's not even that it's. I don't know. It's it's conscious, but not um intentional with what i'm doing you know with my voice it's just me trying to sound a little less like overbearing but trying to soften it yeah i'm trying to soften it yeah exactly because what happens is that's hurting your voice well i do the same it's funny because i've had this whole string of stuff where and i don't know if you do this but like because i'm broad shouldered i'm not like the tallest guy but i'm Uh very broad like i just i'm like it's ridiculous you you have a hard time you're honestly like you're a guy that Sometimes you have to limit how much weight you lift because you get too big and you look like a goon in suits, right? A hundred percent. I yeah. look like I'm trying to be a hardo. Yeah. Like that's what it looks like. It's like, like the, look at that Guido in a suit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, put your bags out. down, bro. Yeah. Put the luggage down. Where, where are you going? <laughs> it's just like the worst. So I can't lift shoulders really because it's just out of control. And so it's like I'm already the worst dimensions for that. So I've noticed that like I hunch a lot. I hunch because yeah. I'm not trying to look. If I stand up straight, I just I, I automatically look like a douchebag. It's automatically. So I don't think you know what you have to embrace that though, because I think yeah, that, right. I, I don't honestly. I don't think you like. I, I think that I think that probably because you're a conscientious person. Sometimes there's nothing worse in life than being conscientious. You're probably aware of the times that people have had that impression or what have you, but it's probably not nearly as often as you would think, and. I, I was having this conversation with somebody today about billionaires and their their curious displays of 
like <laughs> dominance, like where they where yeah. they feel, you know, like Trump's body language, like there, there's been a lot right. written and said about his body language and his handshake and all that stuff where um, where they're like, they're still trying to like show physically that they're the alpha males. And right. And I've always wondered about that because it always seemed to me like if you're a billionaire, you're at the you're the apex predator in a lot of ways. And it feels like they would almost stop doing that because they're so comfortable and not having to prove themselves. Well, but how much of their behavior and even getting there was driven by their own insecurity? Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Like, that's like, right. That's right. Yeah. That's and that's what I think it is, is. But but having said that, so because like I was telling me a story about meeting an NFL owner where he he went in. He's a very friendly and affable NFL owner, but a very successful business person. He's not like an, he didn't inherit right. his, uh, his team, but it was, he said it was a very strange and ostentatious display of power. Like a few different yeah. things that he did that like he meant to look casual, but it was kind of like, Oh, did I leave that laying there? You know, yeah. and it was a picture of him and somebody uh, very successful. Like right. you know, the, the Super Bowl ring was over here. Like it was very, and you're right. And, and that's exactly what I thought was, you would think that they'd get to a point, you know, kind of like the successful dude that can just wear flip flops and a T-shirt and just doesn't care because he's so successful. Those guys are so driven by dominance and and being that guy that they can never let it go. It's like a part of their core being. Maybe what I would say is you're never going to have to worry about being that guy, but maybe you should embrace some of those natural advantages you have uh, as far as being a bigger guy. Well, what else? That's that's all excellent advice. Um, what I would say is that it's not even necessarily that it's because I'm overly self-conscious about it, which definitely has been a factor in the past, but it's more that even professionally, I think there's a tactical piece to it where I'm already naturally, just like you are, I'm already naturally pretty imposing without doing any of that, any of the extra work. It's about trying to make yourself more accessible to others that are generally pretty easily intimidated. Yeah. And I don't like bringing out, I don't know what your experience has been. I don't like trying to elevate that behavior from especially other men who feel like they have to like puff their chest and do the whole thing. So I'll naturally just kind of like, you know what, I'll go ahead and minimize my, my, my stature or whatever it is, if I need to, to make you not feel like you have to do the whole hard, (laughs) hard handshake bullshit that we all have to do like why are you trying to crush my hand i don't know you know it's like it's so that's what a lot of it has been oh man talk about that like i remember i had a girlfriend once who when she noticed i'd never noticed it before but like when when i was walking around this is when i was really big and i was a football player and everything like that she would notice that like when we walk past other guys they kind of a lot of them just naturally kind of like bow up like not and not even like you know like i'm gonna try to intimidate this guy or anything i think it's just a natural like probably often unconscious response you know as animals like that we just like they they, they bow up a little bit like because they're yeah. facing a facing a, a larger mammal or something yeah. and i just i was never aware of it at all like i didn't notice it one bit um but at, yeah i guess but should you kowtow to people who would take it or react that way but it's not it's not you see you're coming at it from a pure hardo even right now no no because i'm the same way though i am the same way i kind of don't drew when i sense that a guy you know some guys are still into the like if i make eye contact with guy i'm not gonna break (laughs) eye contact yeah i know those guys and when they're trying to do it and i'm like immediately i make a point of like just just kind of, I, I don't, I don't do it. Like I won't yeah, engage in it yeah. because like, I, like it's I re- beneath you. It's I beneath you. It's so far beneath you. You know what I do too? Like you, what I do with that drew is I lodge that in my brain. And like, if it's somebody that I'm actually going to have interactions with or something, I kind of look at it as a weakness. Like it I, is. Like, I yeah. feel like, okay, I see that this guy is wired at least a little bit that way. Yeah. And that means that that means that their behavior becomes a little bit more predictable. Gosh. And as I'm doing that, I realize Very. I'm still, I'm still playing the game. I'm just being more Machiavellian about it. Like, yeah. it's not, uh, it, it's, uh, well, it's, it's, it's all kind of, like that. Like, it's, yeah, but, I, it's, but I am still thinking about it in terms of like, all like a, a uh, uh, a levels or a territorial thing like, oh, but, well, I've got, but it is, it's yeah. all, it's all, but it's all in the context of what you're doing it in. Like yeah. I do that professionally. I do it all the time professionally. 100%. I, I, I almost exclusively 
don't have it present in any kind of like a social setting or people that I'm meeting like recreationally or whatever. That's not, you're that goes out the window. And you're, you're I'm myself. I'm not going to like, okay. yeah, I don't really, I mean, it, if I feel that energy from someone and yeah. I want, you know, then of course I'll kind of placate to it. But like, here yeah. are my two suggestions for you. One, you could be uh, like wacky tie guy, be the guy that wears the wacky tie. Um, like maybe a bow tie or something. Maybe a little bit of uh, people would be less intimidated. Uh, yeah. You're not I going can. for that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah, here's number two. That. Here's number two. We could do this. You know, we should do this because we usually do our like little mental health thing at the end of, a, of an episode, which I guess we're doing now because I started recording again. I wore, I wore fake glasses hey, once. Hey, yeah. recording alert. I started recording 10, 10 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> you, you also could perhaps Google. Let's do this for the next episode. Google like non-intimidating body language but like positive it can be confident mm. positive body language but that's not intimidating you know but like, i think maybe the, the showing your hands thing nick saban does it because he's a little fella and he like tries to look big so he like puts his hands out almost like he's right. like a like a angry little grizzly bear um, yeah but that's also supposed to show openness like hey i'm making myself vulnerable so i'm not like i'm exposing all my vital organs i've got nothing to hide here and it's still a very confident gesture, but you're also it's unintimidating in some way. It's all it's kind of like I like to, to fall back on stereotypes, like a Native American saying, you know, like we come in peace or what have you. It's a very it's yeah. a very opening and accepting, but still, well, you know, taking up some space. I think my policy on all that stuff, though, in, and, and this could be where I go wrong, but I just think that all those things are so specific and also so complicated relative to who you are, your station in life, how you look in a thousand different other ways, yeah. your, how tall you are. I mean, there's so many other things that are subtle cues on how you're received by other people that it's like, I mean, if you have facial scars, if you have, if you're bald, if you're, all those things are all happening all at once yeah. and you have to be smart enough and self-aware enough to, to calculate how all of that works together in concert with how you come off to someone else. If you have a high pitched voice, like a weird high pitched voice, it immediately is you're going to undermine a thousand other things that are <laughs> a lot of, unless you do, unless you turn that weakness into a strength. Sometimes exactly, you, know, you like have to then, learn to then like, oh, I'm be, like I'm self deprecating, or you, and peak, I can, I, you know, you, you peacock that, you know, like you turn right. it into like that thing that's unique about you. Um, that but it can't be too obvious. It. it can't be too obvious because it when be it's too obvious. obvious, you know, then it loses the power. It's like when short that. guys do it. I was wondering about that with um, I was talking to somebody about punk rock the other day. Because like, OK, I was at, I was <laughs> he said somebody, like he loves punk rock. Well, no, no, no. We were having a discussion about punk. Like I can't like for me, I can't figure out what a good punk band is versus a bad punk band, because a lot of really good punk yeah. bands, well, especially back in the day, the whole point was they were raw. They were just like disrespectful. You know, they were obnoxious. And yeah. but also like with a lot of ones, you go back to Violent Femmes and everything like they had. They had atypical voices. It was almost they were counter. They were counterculture to an already counterculture format. You know, like, yeah. OK, you're rock yeah. and roll. But you know what? Rock and roll has gotten a little boring and bland and mainstream. So, no, we're punk. We don't give a fuck. Right. Right. So in that high whiny voice, like the, the guy from the Violent Femmes or some of those other plays, like they, they kind of took a weakness and they turned it into a strength. Like, now nah, we're going to we're going to flout convention and we'll be that guy. So yeah. you could be the guy that flouts convention by doing all the conventional body language, but, but without actually like being a dick about it. Yeah, and I'm telling you, Drew, this is it. Drew, you have potential to be an absolute titan of industry. You have intelligence. You have affability. You have a wit. Um, the one thing you're missing is a lack of empathy. You have too much empathy. You need to stop <laughs> empathizing so much. I was like, I don't think it's a lack. I yes, think, no, it's a lack of yeah. empathy. Is you're missing a lack of empathy. Oh, you look okay. at you yeah. look at so many of these. That's why I get so I get so enraged when I read these business articles that are all about empathy and everything. And you're reading the article and like, especially if it's like a, an autobiography or something, it's like somebody who totally and completely lacks empathy. And what you're what you're asking for is for if you're somebody who's already a near sociopath to be a little bit more empathetic, but, but you read those books. And if you're a naturally empathetic person, it's like the problem with those books. If you're a naturally empathetic person and you're reading it, you genuinely examine yourself and you become even more empathetic. And then all of a sudden you're like, 
bowing to everybody else's needs and wants and desires instead of yeah. actually just going out and doing what needs to be done. No, it's a skill set thing. You're not every person is going to be all things. You're it's missing, just like, yeah. Yeah. Stop missing your lack. You're, you're, you're missing a lack of empathy. I want you to be I, the fact that please. you are talking to someone who has very little natural empathy and spent 20 years, literally 20 years trying to build up some amount of empathy and does it not passively, very actively. And you're telling Wait a second. me to throw it out Wait, the window. I actively don't have the empathy or I actively have the empathy. I well, no, it's a passive action or an active action, right? Like it's like, yeah. you know, do I does it just come to me naturally or not? Yeah. You know, and it's like uh, an 1000%. I'm the guy who has to put every single thing in his calendar when it comes to trying to be thoughtful about someone else. I think the very fact that I'm trying to figure out whether you're serious or not is a sign that I'm naturally empathetic. I'm, uh, (laughs) I don't think a a person who lacks empathy, (laughs) a person who lacks empathy wouldn't even be evaluating what you're saying right now. They would just be like, "Ah, I think he's joking, but if not, screw him. I'm never having him on again. Yeah. Or, or I'm just so dry generally that the context is completely thrown. <laughs> All right, listen. Rest your voice. Speak from your diaphragm. Thrust your chest out to the next stranger you see. Mm, um, but wait. then, but as you as you extend him a single flower and uh, <laughs> keep him off balance. Yes, keep him off yes, balance. Yes. Yeah. All right, buddy. It. Now we're done. We're gonna talk done, about done. football next week. Damn it. Sounds good, man. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 